Today's show is brought to you by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip on Instagram. Book your own trip with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there, do that, get rewarded. Today's show is also brought to you by Untuck It. Dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and so should their shirts, like tall, short, slim, and relaxed. Ever wonder why your father's button-ups look so baggy at the end of the day? It can be hard for guys to pull off a great, casual, untucked look that isn't sloppy. That's where Untuck It comes in. Untuck It is the solution that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com, promo code NBA to get 20% off. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 521 of Locked on Raptors for Monday, May 27th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked on Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network with team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got Locked On Fantasy Basketball. We've got Locked On uh, NBA, which I was on this week, actually, at the Local Experts episode that Josh Lloyd hosts every Monday. I was on that yesterday or today or whenever the hell the day it is. I don't know. But it's on the Locked On NBA feed. Find it. If you find a show on the network that you want to support, please subscribe, rate, review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcast. It's deeply, deeply appreciated when you do that and helps us uh, slide up the rankings. We've been, I think, in the top 30 for much of the last few days, so thank you so much. If you're a new listener uh, and haven't left a rating or review yet, please consider doing it. It's very helpful. And if you don't want to, that's also fine. Thank you for being here, and I hope you're enjoying the ride of the playoffs. If uh, also you're in the market for a new podcast app, make sure you're checking out Himalaya. It's a great way to personalize your podcast feed. If you're sick of your old app, that is the one to try out. All right, on today's show, the Raptors are still going to the finals. That hasn't changed. The dream is still uh, not over. And uh, joining me to talk about Game 6 a little bit in a more coherent fashion than the way I talked about it in the pod after the game on Saturday night and just his general vibe. And we'll talk a little bit about the Warriors as well, but there's still plenty of time to preview that series. It's Vivek Jacob. What's going on, buddy? Uh, Nothing much. Just uh, back home after practice today and everyone seems to have moved on to the fact that the Raptors are playing the Warriors in the NBA Finals Mm -hmm. and the focus was on what the Raptors can do to beat the Warriors and just getting set and prepped for Game 1 on Thursday. I haven't moved on, but it's good to know that they have, that that's more important. Uh, So, congrats to the Raptors for being professionals, I suppose. Uh, What was the, anything big come out of practice today? I guess OG Adenobi, the word is that he's, what, 10 days away from playing? Correct. So, 10 days away from today. Um, I probably should have worked this out before, but yeah, we're probably looking at somewhere around the 8th or ninth in terms of a comeback so you know Mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle of the series thanks to these uh, three days off per game Um, (laughs) so I guess that gives him a little bit of a chance we'll see where he's at Uh, but you know I I guess the positive is that you know 10 days in terms of him actually being able to play and it wasn't just oh you know 10 days before he's actually like taking contact or anything like that it seems like he's already on the court uh engaged in a lot of activity so yeah looking right now 
if he if if anything is possible you know the raptors have game four uh on a friday june 7th maybe that that might be too soon but game five um if necessary would would go down on monday june 10th so maybe that's a potential return date for og that's uh, very exciting, and I don't know if you're counting days correctly, Vivek, but 10 days from now is uh, like the 6th and not the 10th, because it's the 27th. I know the days are very strange here, but there's the game, I'm, I'm going to call it. He's back for game three on Wednesday the, the 5th. It's happening. I don't care. <laughs> I don't think so, man. <laughs> that would be, be ridiculously soon. Yeah, what is this, nine days? That's not that far. 10 days would be game, f- yeah. I guess I'm I guess hopeful. I'm just factoring in yeah. like you know, figuring out where he fits in in the rotation, and you know if after so long do you really bring him back, um, you know that that type of thing. So I'm just I'm just I, I guess I'm just trying to guard against fans getting too optimistic. Yeah, look at you, you rational person, you uh, get off the pod. Um, no, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I think that's probably the smart way to go. Better than I mean, there's there's. OG coming back and there's OG coming back and being ready to play in a finals game against the Golden State Warriors like those are two very different things obviously um I am skeptical of like how much like they'll be able to get out of him maybe they can throw him over like 10 minutes a game and get some good minutes there but like the lack of conditioning he hasn't played for what a month and a half at this point it feels like it's probably a bit of a unfair ask to get him back up to like OG and Anobi, capital O, capital G, capital A. Um, but I guess that's how you spell his name anyway, so never mind. Um, but, uh, but like, you know what I mean. It, it's it's probably a little bit quick and premature. And so, I don't know, what, what would you expect to be like OG's usage in the series when he comes back? Like, how will they use him? Will there be just like certain instances where they use him, certain lineups with certain players? Like, what, what do you think should be the, the approach with him? Um, so I think... If there is a scenario in which he could be used, it's potentially if uh, they feel the need to go to Siakam at the five. And now you can have OG mm-hmm. give you those four minutes um, and sort of space out the roster a bit better. Um, I do think that's a possibility in this series, as good as Gasol and Ibaka have been. I think there is the potential for a look at Siakam at the five. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know it's something we saw during the regular season and I think it's something that can work um, but we'll see uh, again in terms of the, 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 I think the biggest thing is where he's at in terms of his conditioning right I mean they're not just going to throw him into a finals game if he's not 100% I don't think mm-hmm. yeah I think I'm with you and I think also like you said if they go see Occam at the 5 which we'll get to uh, I'm sure over the course of the preview process of the series I uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably the best place to use him. I still don't think, you know, they'll be scared to use Siakam at the five, even if OG's not back in the first couple of games. I still think we're going to see that at certain points in the series, um, right? Because that seems like a lineup that you, may, you can maybe get away with against the Warriors that are not super reboundy, and then you can be more switch switchable on defense if you have Siakam and say Green and maybe Norm and Lowry and Leonard the four like that that still could be a lineup that's that is feasible against this Warriors team for me um it's still surreal that we're talking about a finals game against the Warriors and the matchup intricacies of that it's bizarre uh, <laughs> honestly weird that we're talking about any finals that's not the Cavs uh doubly weird that it's the Raptors who are that team um 
So yeah, we'll, we'll continue on with lots of preview stuff over the course of the week. Uh, good to get the update on OG. Good to know there's uh, at least a timeline now, which is fantastic. And uh, I'm mostly just happy for OG that he's going to hopefully get into finals games and like be healthy and, and present for the finals because, man, what an awful year for him personally and then to get hurt right on the eve of the playoffs and not be able to play and to be out, which, you know, for a time that seems a lot longer than his original timeline suggested, I'm just, I'm really glad that he's going to get to play in the finals, man. It, it makes me happy, even if it's not, you know, in a huge, huge role. He has something to offer, I think, and it's, uh, it's a great story if he gets back and even does one good thing. That's, that's very cool. Um, Vivek, let's backtrack a little bit to game six and maybe do our typical re- recappy type of thing, because... The podcast I recorded in the arena by myself, just like stuttering and stammering into the microphone, uh, <laughs> wasn't heavy on analysis per se, um, I, and I was more just trying to soak up the feeling and trying to capture the moment, and I mean, God, the whole night was incredible. Where were you, by the way? Where did you watch it? What was your experience in the city that night? Um, so game six, I was live blogging for Yahoo Sports Canada. Um, and so I was at the Yahoo studio because we had to record the post-game show after the game where Alex Wong and I went into sort of the magnitude of the moment mm-hmm. and went down the timeline of all the crappy years and everything that Raptors fans have had to suffer through uh, to get to this point. And so that was pretty cool. You know, he, he, he relayed, you know, his feelings about Joey Graham, I expressed my frustration over Mel Palacio, uh, <laughs> and yeah, and it was it was a very good time. That's cool. Uh, yeah, what a what a night, man. I came away. The thing I was happiest about, I think, is Kyle Lowry. Seeing him, like the unabashed joy that he had on his face as you know Kawhi hits those free throws late, and then he celebrates with his kids, and then he gets that unbelievable chant from the crowd that yeah. even dwarfed what Kawhi got which has not been the case all season like when they do intros and stuff Kawhi gets the thunderous roar Lowry gets obviously you know some cheers but like it's never to the degree that Kawhi gets and to see that on that stage talking to Ernie Johnson Ernie Johnson having to stop talking in order for Kyle Lowry to receive his due praise it was uh it was a real gut punch, man. That that hit me really hard, and it was so so cool to see Kyle up there with with Kawhi. Like they just they seemed like they were really appreciative of the moment. Maybe not as much Kawhi because he's been there to the finals before, and he is just kind of you know chill at all times. But Kyle seemed like he was very much soaking it all up, which uh, I'm glad because he deserves it uh, probably more than anybody else on the team. It's pretty great. Um, in terms of the actual game. Did you have like a big takeaway from it, like an individual like sequence of the game? Obviously, the twenty six runs, twenty six three run stands out. But was there a sequence, a play, uh, an individual player effort that sort of uh, stood out to you? Yeah, I thought that you know that that play where Kawhi sort of dunked on Giannis was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that that was just ridiculous. Um, but you know, one thing I did touch on uh, today. You know, just thinking back to that fourth quarter, that early fourth run with Kawhi on the bench for Van Vliet to have that layup, Norm to get the three, then Van Vliet hits the step back three. Um, Pascal gets the uh, sort of the hook shot to go that that tied the game mm-hmm. um, or gave them the lead, 
And, you know, to, to think of those three and the time that they put in with the Raptors 905, you know, we, we talk about Kawhi and we talk about uh, Kyle and all, and all their amazing talent and ability and whatnot. But for those guys to grind the way they have from Mississauga to here, um, you know, I thought that was a really cool moment when you look back on it and think on it. And the fact that Pascal, you know, was essentially demoted from being a really bad starter in that Raptors lineup uh, after he was forced into the role uh, after the Jared Sullinger injury goes down to the 905. <laughs> Jared Sullinger. Yeah, Jared Sullinger was the thing. <sighs> um, and, you know, he goes to the 905. Uh, wasn't too happy about it, but uh, was determined to make his way back and earns himself, you know, the 905 finals MVP. And look at where he is now. You look at Norman Powell, the way he dominated the 905 and forced his way into the playoff rotation and had that huge Indiana game. And you know, now, obviously, was a, he's, been, he's been a big factor in two Milwaukee series. Um, and Van Vliet, for all the struggles that he's had, and yeah, shout, just shouts to Miss Saga and Dan Tolzman and Masai Ujiri for setting the 905 up. Um, and Stack, you know, and Stack, and and everyone, man. There's so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, shouts to Stefano for getting me the access to cover that team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I I thought that 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 was a really cool moment that I will take away as well. Yeah, that was um, something I was thinking about earlier today. Is like everyone kind of had a moment over the first three rounds, right? Like I know Danny Green had himself a rough series, but he had a couple games against the Sixers where he found it. I mean, even in the game three against the Bucks, the the, the double overtime game, he still hit a three after Kyle fouled out and was part of that you know defensive stand they made without Kyle to win that game. And they don't get to this point without any of them, right? Like, the, every single player on the roster has, and except for maybe, like, Jody Meeks, uh, <laughs> has, like, had, like, a very tangible impact on the Raptors' path to the finals. And I think that's kind of what every team kind of needs, right? Like, you need those random dudes to pop. You need Fred Van Vliet to go 14 of 17 from three. Like, it's all, like, weird luck and timely performances, in addition to having, obviously, amazing players. But... Plenty of amazing players don't make finals because the guys on the team that they are surrounded by don't have big moments, and I think Giannis is kind of an example of that right now. I mean, that Bucks team, they uh, they were really, really good, but they just had so many duds of performances in that series and just too many that Giannis couldn't overcome, and it's not like it wasn't a close series anyway. Like, man, it's... it's... <sighs> Thinking back on those two series, the Sixers and Bucks series, man, it's kind of nuts that the Raptors won both of those like those are wars and to win two of those wars like the finals can happen whatever maybe they'll lose that's fine like that is nothing to sneeze at beating those two teams in particular the Sixers who were just like such a bear of a team I was uh they're so talented they're so mean to play against so just like suffocating all the time it's a it's like a it's a real accomplishment to have beaten that team yeah, no, for sure, and but 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 I think what's encouraging is the fact that you know you you almost see their IQ play out right, and so they go down two one against Philly, but but they figure out what they need to do. They go down two zero uh, against the Bucks, and they figure out what they need to do. And I asked Nick Nurse in practice uh, 
uh, after practice today, you know, going up against the Warriors, is there maybe a feeling or a recognition that, yeah, you know, you were able to get through those series uh, with series deficits, but, you know, maybe there's less of a margin for error here against the Warriors. Um, but I think he leaned towards more of, you know, the strength that they can draw from being able to come back from those situations. And he said, yeah, obviously it'd be nice to not face a series deficit. Um, <laughs> but uh, at the same time, their attitude the whole time has just been to take each game as it comes. And he said, you know, he, he personally felt that when they went well, when they went down 0-2 to Milwaukee that he didn't feel it was a big deal, that he felt confident that, uh, they, that they were going to come back uh, on their home floor at Scotiabank Arena and make it 2-2 and make it a series. And, you know, it, it, his mind had never, it never changed that it, that it wasn't going to be a long series. So uh, I think, you know, they're, they're just a very composed, um, chill team uh, that doesn't get too stressed by, you know, the big maybe people making a big picture narrative out of everything that happens at the moment Mm -hmm. and they sort of stay in that moment that each game sort of takes on its own identity and again he plays to the rhythm of the night and rolls with it and here we are so you're saying so you're saying the team ethos is that it's fine I I, I, I support it Uh, we're going to continue on talking about a bunch of different things. i got a few topics to throw out in just a sec, but first I want to remind people that Grip6 is a sponsor of today's show. At Grip6, their goal is to literally make the best belt that's ever been made. Grip6 is an easy, thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas, and even moms and wives. They have a women's collection. Make sure you check it out. Ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap, and it carries a low profile with the buckle laying flat against the waist, making the belt super comfortable. Grip6 is the only belt with no holes, no flap, and no bulk. Grip6 has a special offer for you as well at grip6.com slash lock. That's grip6.com slash L-O-C-K-E. All right, Vivek, I want to ask you a question that I've been kind of thinking about and was sort of a thing during the raptors Bucks series in sort of the capital T, capital D, the discourse um, about how people wanted the Bucks to win because they posed a, a more sort of daunting challenge to the Warriors. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on that because this is something that I've been grappling with for a couple days now and even back to when the series was going on against Milwaukee and that's just something I just never really agreed with at all like the Bucks yeah. would have been a very good matchup for the Warriors that would have been fun the Raptors are also a very good matchup I don't know why it had to be this binary thing where only one of them was like a noble matchup for the Warriors what are your thoughts on that do you think the Raptors match up as well better than the Bucks would have um where, where are you sort of thinking on that no, I mean, I, I strongly disagree with the notion that the Bucks would have been the only real challenge for the Warriors. I think, uh, you know, I've, I, I'm usually pretty straight with you, Sean. I think the Raptors have a legitimate shot at winning this all here. Mm-hmm. I think they beat these this Warriors team. Um, their defense is incredible. And I think the thing that stands out from the Raptors-Bucks series is, you know, the, the Raptors' ability to manipulate every area of the court defensively and offensively and that's something that I think the Bucks lacked you know especially you know you get into the half court and situations where you just need a bucket um, the Bucks seem to only have one way of getting a bucket um, mm. and so if they couldn't get Giannis ahead of steam it became very very difficult for them and you look at the Raptors and you look at Gasol and Kyle being able to create from the top you look at being able to 
just throw the ball to Kawhi, whether he's operating from the post or in isolation uh, in a face-up situation or getting the ball to Pascal and relying on that spin move. It, there's just so many different ways in which the Raptors can attack you, and that's something that you desperately need against the Warriors. Um, it is versatility to your attack, versatility to your defense. We've seen that over and over over the course of this postseason, and so I think that's a lot more valuable than what the Bucks brought to the table. And the fact that the Raptors beat the Bucks four straight times, I think, is a reflection of that. And so I think we are in for. You know, potentially an all-time great NBA Finals uh, because the Raptors have a defense that won't necessarily allow the Warriors to get off on those crazy runs that they can uh, get off to. Um, there might be a, a bit of a feel-out, you know, to, to Game 1, maybe even Game 2, but I expect this, again, to be a great series, and I, I honestly will not be surprised if the Raptors win at all. Yeah, I think I was sort of resigned to Warriors in six, but thinking about it a little bit more, and maybe this is just homerism creeping in, I'm starting to lean towards like at least a seven-game series and then flip a coin, I guess. Um, it, it's like it's a really good matchup, and I think yep. the Raptors, because of their defense, like you just mentioned, are a really, really well-equipped team to try to, like, do do the best you can, the closest thing you can to slow down the Warriors. And nobody really does it, and it, it requires, you know, I guess there's a bit of a blueprint there from what the Rockets have done in the past where they just slow it down to an ungodly slow pace, and maybe that's something the Raptors will look to do. Um, uh, we can talk about that in a little bit, too, if you want, but uh, I think the defense in this series, they're really equipped to sort of defend the Warriors in a bunch of different ways, you know? that We've seen sort of maybe two sort of defenses that are typically the ones that teams will throw against Golden State. One is the, the Rockets, where they just switch everything across the board, you know, no conditions, you just switch and do your thing. Um, I think the Raptors are mostly equipped to do that, although I have a little bit of pause about Gasol, you know, guarding Curry, you know, he's, I know he's very good in space and all that, but, and sort of faster than he looks because he moves so well with his feet and he, you know, sort of manages the angles and doesn't have any unnecessary movement or anything like that, but... That's tough. It's, you know, I don't think I want Marcus Gasol in the Tristan Thompson role switched out onto Steph Curry. At the same time, you know, if you go small, you skew small, you have either Ibaka. Like, I think Ibaka can hang a little bit. He did a really good job against Giannis in certain examples. Obviously, very, very different players, but it's hard to find a dude with a more explosive first step than Giannis, and Ibaka did pretty well there. Um, and then I guess, obviously, the, the fact that Steph can shoot threes changes the, the fact, the, the sort of the, the calculus there, too. But point is, I think Ibaka could be okay there. Um, but you can skew even smaller and have Siakam play center, and then you are totally fine to switch everything, I would think, and you'd be actually almost happy to have Siakam out on Curry, and I'm actually kind of fascinated to see how that looks for, you know, possessions at a time, to see if, you know, the John Wall magic of last year's first round can carry over to the finals, and you have Siakam just throwing whoever's giving you trouble, and most more often than not, it's going to be Steph in the finals, I would think. So right. is that... There's also the, the fact that they could just, like, do the thing where they send two guys towards Steph the way the, the Cavs did in that 2015 finals and just force Draymond to beat them on the short roll and force their shooters to, to beat you. And, like, the Warriors, for all of their very good shooters, also have a lot of not very good shooters, too. And yeah. a couple guys you're kind of okay seeding shots to. And the Raptors, they just showed against the Bucks how damn good they are at sending two guys to the ball handler's way and still getting back. It's a really rare sort of feat that they're able to accomplish all the time, and it becomes harder against the Warriors, obviously, because of the, of the gravity that Steph has 
and the obviously the quickness with which they move and, and run their stuff. It's a different you know beast entirely than the Bucks, who were just like Giannis kicking out to four stagnant shooters, just dotted around the perimeter. But they've shown that they can be a you know a, a, a blitz and recover defense and do it really really well. Uh, what are you thinking is like the best like the, is the best way to just use it all and sort of you know vary up the looks? Is there is there something you're scared of with either of those looks? Um, what do you think is going to be sort of the base defense for the Raptors in this series at least to start? Uh, in terms of the base defense to start, I think they might just look to see uh, if they can take some of what they did against Milwaukee and you know have. Uh, have the pick and rolls between Steph and Dre, Draymond defended without switching, um, without and have guys fight through, and then sort of go to a different look from there. Nick Nurse even talked about this at practice. You know, uh, they were watching film and they mapped out sort of three, four ways that they want to defend situations. But they're obviously they're, they've got their number one scenario, and then if that doesn't work, they turn to number two, number three, number four, and they figure it out. Uh, but yeah, I, I think we'll see a base scenario where maybe they're on those pick and rolls they're, that they're uh, not looking to switch, that they'll fight through those screens, mm-hmm. uh, and they'll try to keep everyone in their ideal matchup um, because you know, kind of they they have the strength uh, to do that, they have the length to do to do that. Now the challenge obviously is the difference in how much more Golden State can extend you uh, to defend in the half court compared mm-hmm. to the Milwaukee Bucks, where. You know, as as much as Brook Lopez is standing three point three three feet behind the three point line or Miritich or whoever, is a different beast uh, when you're doing it against Steph Curry and uh, Clay Thompson and you know Kevin Durant whenever he, come, he comes back. Uh, so yeah, when you're defending 40, 40 feet from the rim, maybe maybe it gives them more luxury to do it theoretically but it might even hurt them so i think those are things that the warriors thrive on as well right i mean you we've seen how many times have we seen that play where you know you 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 try and get the ball out of curry's hands and draymond gets the ball on that roll and all of a sudden it's an alley for kevon looney or whoever right Mm -hmm. so um or it's a a corner three for clay so those, those those sort of uh what was the word I'm looking for? Those uh, those domino effects from uh, w- w- whichever way the Raptors look to play it. I think you look at you know w- which is uh, the lesser of the evils in terms of those domino effects because that's kind of what the what the Warriors force you into thinking about. Yeah, yeah, I I think it's a good idea to go in with multiple ideas. <laughs> it's it's the Warriors. You can't get stuck in doing one thing over and over yeah. again because that'll be bad and they'll figure it out because they're again the warriors it's god it's still so weird talking about having to defend them over the course of a series <laughs> it's yeah. and kind of terrifying to think about too um obviously the whole thing that the dynamic changes if kd comes back and when he comes back and i guess there's not really any sort of clear idea of when that's going to be i think what like game three is what people are kind of targeting um but there's nothing that's been officially reported i don't think right on like a i should i should them. also add that you know it, my belief in the raptors being able to win the series is also based on the expectation that kevin durant will miss game one and potentially game two yeah I, i'd be pretty confident in picking the warriors if you know, if, if he was fully healthy, uh, just because of, you know, mainly mainly because I'd give them the experience edge. 
Yeah, fair enough. And also the the edge of having also Kevin Durant on the floor. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. Uh, and yeah, that would also sort of throw off the, I guess, the, the ideal defensive assignments that the Raptors would want to throw out there. What do you think that's going to look like, by the way? Um, there's a few ways I suppose they could go. They could just go straight up, have Kyle guard Steph and have uh, Kawhi maybe sort of hang out on Iguodala maybe and just have him sort of be a little free safety. I, I, or do they just like use Kawhi on Steph and go nuclear right from the jump? Like, is that something you can see? Does that make it too tricky for Kawhi to fight through screens? Like, cause he's so big. Like, it's it's not easy. But I, I don't know. Do you have like an ideal defensive alignment, you know, starters wise in mind right now? Um, I I do like the idea of Kawhi being able to play quarterback against the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know whatever they can do to set that up, I think is most favorable. And you know, I maybe maybe this is a little biased from seeing how effective LeBron has been at uh, being quarterback against them, uh, or free safety rather, and uh, calling out the plays. And uh, so yeah, I, I think you know, and, and honestly, the the X factor again, I feel like is going to be Danny Green. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, is he is he gonna chase around stuff? Is he gonna chase around Clay? Um, there were times where I think we, we even saw Danny Green pick up stuff a little bit of full court just to uh, build that bit of pressure. So we we might see a bit of that. And then on the other end, also you know, especially in that game in Oakland, we saw Danny Green post up on Steph Curry mm-hmm. um, and get, and create some positive outcomes for the Raptors there. So I think. Those are the two key guys that it might come down to, which, you know, funnily enough, uh, that's kind of what San Antonio depended on as well. So uh, if they can get those two in a situation where they're able to neutralize um, Stephen Clay, that's probably ideal. Um, I think Kyle Lowry, you know, it might sound weird, but, you know, possessions where he's on Draymond maybe isn't a bad idea just because if, if Draymond wants to go ahead and post him up, I think that's a win for the Raptors. Um, that sounds and, so you know, mean and fun. Oh my god, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that's another look that I, I would look at as well. Um, but yeah, again, the strength of this team is the fact that they can give the Warriors so many different looks over the course of forty-eight minutes, let alone a seven-game series. So I think that's what they'll bank on, um, making sure that no one gets comfortable uh, with any one look, and you know. Keep, keep them guessing. I think that's the way to do it. Just have just have the musical chairs going. If you have something that's working, then by all means roll with it. But have the flexibility to keep it to keep it moving. Yeah, and I think like the idea of having as many just like crazy defensive savants the Raptors have probably helps matters too, right? Like they can kind of read it on a possession possession by possession basis basis too, and kind of you know feel it out for what's working best because they're the ones in it, right? And you know you have like five coaches on the floor defense-wise with all those guys. And it, like the way it'll kind of work in harmony, the way it has worked in harmony has been uh, very uh, harmonious, I guess. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the lazy way to finish that sentence. Um, I, w- <laughs> I wanted to ask you about the pace of the series. So we've seen the Warriors play the Rockets. And I, I keep going back to the Rockets because it feels like they've kind of come up with the best blueprint to at least slow the Warriors down on offense, um, you know, they're off, right. the, the, the Rockets' offense has not been particularly great in those series, and it's been relying a lot on, you know, James Harden just taking pull-up jumpers, but 
I think the Raptors have a bit more they can rest on um, and a bit more in the way of creation than maybe those Rockets teams do. But right. um, like, what would you think is – because like the, the Bucks series was – I thought going in, like both teams would want to play fast, and that was kind of how game one started. But as it went on, I think the Raptors were very okay just sort of slowing it down and playing a half-court style game the way they did against the Sixers. And I think they just kind of trusted their ability for their defense to grind out stops at a higher clip than the other team's half-court defense. And, you know, the the Raptors kind of find these waves when they start hitting shots and they start forcing misses that it just kind of naturally becomes faster for them. But I I, I don't know. Do you want to see them do the Rockets thing where they, like, bring it up and just kill possessions and just run it slow? Because I I think they can have success with that. They have Kawhi Leonard. He's a very, very good scorer in ISO situations and going in the half court. But um, that kind of does... abandon maybe the the thing the Raptors do best, which is just run, but at the same time, do you want to get into a running match where you're just like trading transition for transition with the Warriors? That feels like maybe a recipe for dying. Yeah, I think selective transition is the way to go for the Raptors. You know, I think they've established a comfort zone where they know that they can be better than teams in the half court on either end, defense or offense. So I think when they have the opportunity to slow the game down and ride Kawhi a little bit, uh, by all means, go ahead and do that. But, you know, if, if you're able to poke at balls and get out and transition, take advantage of those. Uh, if, you know, Kyle Kyle gets those opportunities off inbounds where he's able to push the pace and uh, get up and get up the floor and get an easy look, then by all means. Um, but also know, you know, even off those pushes when the when there's moments of, there's nothing just go ahead and run your offense so i think i think selective transition and just taking uh whatever is presented to you is probably the best way to go mm-hmm. i don't think the raptors will necessarily look to get into an up and down game but are you there defense will be able to create some transition opportunities Oh, you just cut out there. But Hello? Yeah, you, you're good now, I think. I think oh. yeah, I'll just edit that together. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. So, I'm I'm sure the Raptors will feel confident in their defense, have enough confidence in their defense to create enough transition opportunities where they don't have to, you know, specifically seek them out and get into an up-and-down pace, pacey game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that'll be an interesting sort of subplot. And I think how that sort of is tied to the offensive glass is interesting as well because the Warriors obviously when they get out running are are deadly and you don't want to necessarily have your dudes tracking up to try to get offensive boards but at the same time every possession against the Warriors is important and any easy bucket against the Warriors is important and because of the size advantage the Raptors are going to have rebounding wise I I mean Draymond's a good rebounder obviously and Kevon Looney's whatever He's, he's Kevon Looney he's fine but like I feel like Gasol, Siakam, Leonard might be able to kind of bully the Warriors on the boards a little bit, and they've been prone to getting beaten up on the boards already in these playoffs. And I wonder how aggressively the Raptors will hunt offensive boards. Like the way they did, was it game? What, what game was it? Game seven against the yeah, it was game seven against the Sixers, where they just like crashed the glass. They got like twenty five extra shots out of it, and mm-hmm. it, it, that was the difference in the game because they shot like garbage. And I wonder if maybe that's going to be a thing that they're a little bit more, more, more reticent to do against the Warriors, even though the advantage is kind of there to be exploited if you're bold enough. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. Um, I don't think that's something they'll look to do with Marcus All on the court. Uh, 
I think that's kind of how it's played out. You know, Marcus usually he's been the one to get back, um, especially when he's the one facilitating uh, facilitating from the top of the key. But I think with uh, Serge Ibaka, that's been one of his strengths when he's come into the games and when he's had his best games is getting on the offensive glass, creating those extra opportunities. Um, sometimes even just drawing those uh, loose ball fouls that create extra possession. So mm-hmm. uh, I think there's definitely something to be gained from it. But again, it'll be selective based on, I think, each game and what uh, what the feel is for each game. Yeah, for sure. Um, any other big sort of overarching matchup questions you have before we wrap this thing up again we're going to do plenty of preview content and we'll answer all of the questions that Lou but we're just trying to hit some big stuff here as sort of a, a first impressions type thing um, I don't know any other thing that are that, any other things that you're kind of keeping an eye on is sort of like things that you'll think will be determine, determining factors for the series determining factors for the series you know again what, what was the productivity going to be out of Van Vliet and Norm Mm-hmm. And Serge, we saw how important that was against the Bucks. I don't think the Raptors win the, the series, make the comeback that they did without them. So they've got to come in and continue uh, the run that they've been on. Uh, so yeah, that, that, that's the number thing, the number one thing that I'll be looking for in terms of the role players, uh, because you know you you look at the Warriors bench, especially in the first couple of games, maybe being stretched out a bit um, without. Kevin Durant, maybe without DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that's an area where if the Raptors can win that battle, it, it'll make them make it easier for them to at least protect home court in the first couple games. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. The The bench is going to be huge, man. The Like, having as many guys as possible popping off is going to be potentially a thing that swings a couple games as it did against the Bucks. Like that was the reason yeah. that series turned around is the, the bench guys started doing things and it really helps to have more than four guys you can trust in a game. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious just to see like how the Warriors defend and like with how much conviction they defend. They haven't defended particularly well in the playoffs. They've given up 110 points per 100 possessions. Um, a lot of that's sort of based on the series they're playing, and obviously, you know, there's some more run and gun series and some like a little bit more, you know, defense heavy. It's it's hard to the in playoff numbers are always a little bit noisy, but like after the Raptors have played the Sixers and Bucks defenses, which are unbelievable and have like transcendent defensive players, I don't think they're going to be like thrown off by the Warriors defense. I think they'll actually be kind of ready for the Warriors defense in a way that. Uh, like the Cavs never would have been after rolling through the East through the the garbage teams they had to play over the last few years, right? Um, right. Like it's going to be, I think, honestly, the way it went from the Sixers to the Bucks for me where I was like, hey, there's some breathing room here. I think that'll even continue. There'd be more breathing room against the Warriors just because there are more you know areas you can attack. Obviously, Clay's a very good defender and Iguodala is amazing and Draymond Green is a defense unto himself, but... Like, I feel like Steph Curry, you can go at and be happy to go at him. And he's a, a, an above-average defender, probably, but someone you're not, like, he's not Eric Bledsoe, although Eric Bledsoe became a pumpkin in the series, so maybe that's not a very good, good comparison. But defense-wise, his <laughs> reputation, at least, was very high coming into the series. First-team All-NBA, all that stuff. Uh, all defense, sorry. And then so and then you have, like, Kevon Looney and the guys off the bench, who none of whom are particularly terrifying defensively. I just think, like... The way the Warriors have played, and maybe they'll tighten it up for the finals because it's the finals and they're, they're flipping the switch or whatever, but they do feel a little bit more 
just sort of laid back on defense and less sort of in your face and mean and suffocating the way the Bucks and to an even greater extent the Sixers were. So I, I think the tests that the Raptors have had picking apart two really, really good defenses uh, is going to really go a long way to sort of making them comfortable in this series maybe earlier than they typically would have been against the Warriors. Does that make sense? I hear you, but also I, I just feel like the Warriors have the intensity uh, meter at wherever they need it to be. And I think, you know, from five straight finals, they have different levels that they can get to. And if they need to get to a certain level against the Raptors, they will find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I thought they did a tremendous job against Portland of taking Lillard out of that series and forcing everyone else to beat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if they, you know, I think when they when they key in on specific game plans um, and try to execute, I think they are they can they can still be pretty special defensively. So I think intensity wise, I think that's what's going to make this a great series. You know, uh, the Warriors have that championship pedigree, but I think the Raptors right now in this moment they recognize that because of the veteran veterans that they have on the team, the guys who have been there before the guys who haven't been there before that they might not have this opportunity again mm-hmm. and you know especially with everything that's hovering over uh, what could happen in the summer um i think they're very much in this engaged in this moment right now and so the effort levels from both teams i think will be extremely high because even on the warrior side of things they don't know where things are going to go yeah. this summer right yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm not expecting the Warriors to like not play aggressive defense. I don't want it to sound like that was a, what I was suggesting, but I do think that the I still stand by the, the idea that I think the tests that they've had are going to sort of make it a little easier to settle in against the Warriors' defense than typically. Right. Although, yeah, I mean, if, if Kawhi was bothered by Ben Simmons and Chris Middleton, I, and bothered to a degree obviously like dick finger quotes bothered uh, <laughs> if they <laughs> average like 30 on 50 40 90 um is gonna give him some problems man and i think like if durant comes back he'll probably guard him a little bit too and they'll switch up that look and yeah. uh that's gonna be so fun man god i'm so excited for this series so watching Kawhi against like steph and kd is gonna be an absolute delight even if the raptors lose yeah. which i still uh, would predict is going to happen it's uh, it's gonna be great, I, and I yeah, can't believe it's happening. <laughs> Enjoy the ride. I'm Enjoy still just ride. a big, goofy, smiling boy, and I can't stop. It's. <laughs> that's, that's how everyone should be right now. Yeah, man. All right, man. I think we should probably wrap that thing up. This thing up. Sounds. Do you have anything you want to plug right now? I uh, just look out for my usual stuff on Yahoo Sports Canada. Um, I do believe that because of the late start times for the games we're not going to be doing the post game shows okay um i think we're just going to do some next day video stuff just because i mean let's face it game starting at nine they're probably not going to end you know till 12 31 and then on weekdays to expect people to watch a post game show at one two in the morning mm-hmm. uh with work the next day and whatnot i don't think that's realistic um, but yeah, we will try and record stuff the next day just to make sure we have that video content flowing. But yeah, but Will, uh, myself, we will have the written content. We'll be all over that. So look out for you know Will's thing, ten things, my usual uh, post game analysis. Uh, right now, I have uh, that Masai story that I wrote. Um, I'm working on a Nick Nurse piece that should be good to go tomorrow. Uh, and yeah, 
just catch it all and then uh, you can find me on twitter at vivekmjacob sounds good man uh you can find me at woodley sean of course please subscribe rate review to this podcast itunes stitcher spotify google play and himalaya it's a great podcast app if you're in the market for a new one make sure you check out himalaya big thanks to hotels.com on tucket and grip six for sponsoring today's podcast as well um i wrote a piece just uh before we started recording this thing for rappers hq uh, I found myself at a loss for things to write about, like analysis-wise, because everyone else was writing such great stuff about Game 6, so I decided to go a little personal and wrote about uh, my family and the Raptors, and it, I thought it turned out pretty well, so if you want to check that out at Raptors HQ, you can do that. Um, I will be doing a podcast tomorrow myself, Katie Heindel, uh, and uh, Sean Keen and Joey Devine, the two guys who host Round Ball Rock. We're going to be doing a bit of a crossover episode. They're Warriors fans. Of course, Katie and I are on the Raptors side of things. That should be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that deeply. That's going to come out, I think, probably late Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. Plenty of preview stuff ahead of the series on Thursday, beginning with Game 1. I don't think at this point I'm going to be covering the games, unfortunately, but I'll still, that'll leave me around to do quick recap podcasts and stuff right after games are over. So uh, I'll have you covered there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Enjoy it, everybody. I, I, I can't get enough of a recording podcast. It's so fun. I just want to do more. So uh, we'll, we'll have plenty of stuff to satiate your appetite over the next little while here. And thank you so much. If you're a new listener, thank you for being a part of the, the, the finals experience. And I hope you enjoy the podcast. Doris Burke, if you're listening, I know you listen sometimes. Thank you for listening. And uh, you're the best. <laughs> and uh, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time with another episode of Locked on Raptors.